Welcome to Encouraging Change, a podcast that explores the relationship between motivational interviewing and peer recovery support. Your hosts, Laura Saunders and Chris Kelly, will engage in a conversation that combines their professions and passions, the spirit of motivational interviewing, and the power of peer support. Laura is a Wisconsin State Project Manager for the Great Lakes ATTC, MHTTC, and PTTC, and a seasoned motivational interviewing trainer. Chris is a project manager for the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence and an expert on peer recovery support services. So thank you for joining us today and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode seven of Encouraging Change, Using Motivational Interviewing and Peer Support. Today, Laura and I are going to talk about effective and person-centered ways that peer recovery specialists can assist others in linking to resources and services both within behavioral health care settings and within the community. So hi, Laura. How are you today? I'm good, Chris. How about you? Oh, pretty good. So on this topic of investigating, selecting, and using resources, what I think about is one of the hallmarks I see when working as a peer recovery specialist is the fact that we don't just hand someone a brochure or a card and say, go forth and seek out this support. But one of our hallmarks is actually going along physically with the person to appointments, meetings or social outings or any of those things that they might need just a little boost of confidence or they might feel a little bit nervous to go walk through that door. And because we've had those experiences before, we're uniquely empathetic to to a person doing something that might seemingly be normal in someone's life Mm -hmm. to do, whether it's going to a doctor or dentist or these things, but that they might cause a lot of anxiety when somebody's attempting to do these things sober for the first time. And so, For now, I wonder if it would be okay if we spent some time thinking about how we maintain accurate information and share that information with others, but keeping in mind that the individual we're working with really wants to own their solutions. It needs to be their solution. Yeah, yeah, you you point to that balance, right? Like how do we bring in our expertise and our wisdom and all the stuff that you've built up as being a person in recovery and then not make that assumption that it's going to be the exact same for that for the peer, the person across from you. And so how do we recognize that we have a lot to give and then still at the same time be open to this other person's uh, solutions, the things that they have thought of themselves. When, when I think about that, Chris, when I think about being open to solutions, I, I think about that story that you told me that involved the hospital administrator and, and um, some assumptions that were made. And I, I, yeah. I think it'd be good if you share that story. Sure. Uh, at the time, we were building out a substance use disorder crisis program within a hospital setting. And when we were first really Um, We had done the policies and procedures and hired on staff and whatnot. And one of the peers was working with an individual who had been experiencing chronic homelessness and um, had found himself in the emergency department. And the peer had connected with him to start doing some recovery planning. And through that process, the recovery had identified a 
kind of fancier, I would call it, you know, more of an upscale um, treatment provider that he really was interested in going to because they had horses on site. And so without, I don't know that he used the terminology equine therapy, but um, that really interested him and caused this deep pull and saying, that's some place I really think I would like to go. And during a, a session with some of the clinicians on this team, along with our peers, one of the folks that works for the hospital had mentioned, well, that's not just, that's not realistic, meaning it's not realistic that this recovery who, who had experienced homelessness would go there and, and was kind of slimming down his options to what that person thought was realistic. And myself and the peers really used that opportunity to advocate and talk about the importance of following through on that wish and really exploring without us bringing up a barrier before that barrier existed, meaning that authentic person-centered support, that that was a goal he had made and that we honor walking the pathway towards that goal. And if it didn't work out, that's fine, but we need to take, to take all the steps possible alongside him to fulfill that goal versus saying in the beginning, well, that just won't work. And there might be viable reasons why that they that wouldn't work, meaning if they didn't take medical assistance, the type of insurance he had, or um, that sort of thing. So more the bureaucracy of it. But we said it was our our job as peers to sit down and do that work with him, rather than come in and be the expert and say, "Well, I know this won't work because of X, Y, and Z." So that was just a, that's a really explicit example of how peers might differ from uh, clinical staff when we're talking about recovery planning. From a MI perspective, where does that land? Well, just one, the, the thing that just stands out to me is that you let him dream, you let him project himself forward into the future and the future that he saw, his getting better future was uh, included going to this place where they had horses. And the other thing that you kept your eye set on was that what he was saying was, I want to get better. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and sometimes when we shut down the person's solutions, we can shut down that want to get better too. Like if we just, oh, well, it can't, it's not going to be like that. So why even think about it? And so just keeping that in mind that he, he wanted, he wanted to do something and he had an idea about how to do it. And you sat alongside him and advocated for him and he made it happen. So it's that allowing that person's voice to, again, steer the recovery process. And it's not, again, as peers, I think this applies all around, but it's not our job to dismiss someone's option but fully right. explore it and and we're going to yeah. come to a resolution there i've seen that in people if they if the solution they bring if it's shot down it really deflates any of their motivation to move forward because then it reinforces this internal dialogue of i'm stupid i shouldn't be doing this i'm not worth it I knew it wouldn't work. It's confirming some beliefs they might have had already in play, but they took this big risk 
in saying out loud something really actually really beautiful about how they wanted to to start to get well yeah so one of the takeaways that we have in a lot of peer trainings is this idea of being a resource broker and so i mm -hmm. um pull on that a little bit like it it it's a little bit of a pull because I don't want peers ever to be identified as only resource brokers. Yeah. But we do have that special skill because we've navigated so many different social service systems in order to access and maintain our wellness, meaning we can identify and help navigate a lot of different resources within a lot of different systems. Are there ways MI addresses helping someone to investigate, select, and then use their chosen resource resources and services? Yeah, it, in this, the spirit of motivational interviewing shines like really brightly when we think about how to share information. I never want to give the impression that the that the information that's brought by the helper isn't useful to the helpy because it is. We just, because collaboration and respect for personal choice is such a big part about, of motivational interviewing, we wanna make sure that when we offer information, we're doing it from this perspective of this person is their own expert. They know the most about themselves of anyone else on this planet. And so I'm not gonna offer, I'm not gonna just, I, I, this sort of a, uh, I'm not going to barf information on them, right? Like I'm not, I'm not going to give them information that is just not going to be helpful to them or is in any way going to make it seem like I don't think that they already know what's good for them or where they could go or what they could do. So what the balance is to just ask people. It, it's mm -hmm. fairly simple. It's not easy, but it's simple, right? It's just to say like, you know, before I provide you with these things that I have, what do you already know? What might you want from me? Are you interested in some information about employment, about housing, about treatment, about, you know, places to get help with your relationships, whatever it is, just making sure that you check in with the person first so that when you do share that information, it's done with permission. It's a true collaboration. It's not, again, barfing information on people. Mm -hmm. So I know as peers we get, sometimes I think we offer in information out of pure excitement. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're, we're yeah. working with someone and especially when we're just first starting out as peers, we, we get really excited at the opportunity to work with individuals and then we suddenly see a solution mm -hmm. to whatever we're talking about. And so we have to, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes and that's why this is such a practice. I like how you say it's um, simple, but not easy. Right. <laughs> so meaning it takes a lot of practice to have the wherewithal to slow yourself down and and think about what what process are you in meaning are you you know just beginning the relationship are you evoking responses from them or are you in a planning stage and that might kind of guide how you offer up information as well but that asking permission i think is one of the ways that I've started to incorporate into working with individuals and it's really helpful because it's almost those kind of pause words that for me, oh, I'm about to give advice. 
I can just add, would it be okay if? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, as helpers, our innate response is, oh my gosh, let me tell you how to fix it. I want you to fix this. I care about you. I care about you as a person. It's difficult for me as a helping person, as a person with a big compassionate heart to see you suffering. And so sometimes when we take a step back and we look at ourselves and we say like, okay, what what about me offering this information is, do I think it's going to just instantly fix this person? And that's where my motivation for wanting to just barf this solution on this person is coming from. It's coming from, and then if I tell you this, then you can solve this problem and you won't have all these problems anymore. And I won't have to watch you suffer because that's really hard for me. And so Mm -hmm. being able to step back and say, no, even if I tell the person how to fix this, this doesn't mean they're going to just go and do it. We know that from our own experiences that when people tell us how to fix our problems, we don't just go and do it. And so when we, when we can accept that, that our information is only as good as what the person does with it, because again, they're their own experts. Right, right. And the, um, you've done a really good job with when I've worked with you in different trainings of maintaining choice. So there's some really explicit ways. And I know we've touched on this in previous episodes, but that um, once we've offered information to really intentionally state, this is your choice and you have options. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's sometimes that you know, like sometimes, and we've talked about this in face-to-face trainings too, that some people asking permission just feels a little funny, like saying like, would it be okay if I offers you some information about sober living houses? Like that, that doesn't seem like it fits with their style, or maybe they don't want to do that every time. And so there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can also just put out there the option that the person might disagree with you. And you could say something like this, you may or may not agree, or this may not, this may or may not be something that's going to help be helpful to you. I just want to know what you think about this. Here's some ideas I have about blah, blah, blah. Right. So you can do that. And the other thing is, is, is that don't forget that oftentimes when information is being exchanged, it's exchanged because the peer asked you. Mm -hmm. If the peer says, you know, Chris, <laughs> where can I go to get, you know, some new clothes where, you know, like I, I really run out. I don't have anything to wear to work. You know where the person can go. And of course you should just share. And you have that. And what we've talked about before is not only do you have that information, but you have like the ins and outs of that information. So mm-hmm. your stuff is so valuable. So if somebody asks you, oh my gosh, you should absolutely freely share. You wouldn't say, well, do you really want me to share? Do you really want me to know? Or do you really want to know? Yeah. Well, and keeping in mind too there that we always take the option when it's not so clear cut, when they're not directly asking us for something, we partner and work with the individual to seek out what they already know, putting them back in the expert seat because I think sometimes again we we jump to those as peers we jump to those solutions and those resources without giving them an opportunity to state what they already know and what they've already tried and part of that too is that confidence building so it's building the confidence in someone we're working with 
that they know a lot more than they think they do. Yeah. Yeah. So even when somebody asks, sometimes you might answer with, well, I've got some ideas. I've got some ideas about how that might change or how you might do X, Y, or Z. Before I share what I know, what do you already know about it? And let them, and, and honor their, their knowledge and build up their confidence that way by reminding people, you are your own expert. You know a ton of stuff about this. You've had lots of experience and life experiences that are going to be valuable to you as you recover. Yeah. Yeah. Another way we can build that confidence is not, not necessarily through cheerleading, but through the use of affirmations. And so yeah. I've asked you some more, I would say, curveball type questions about how do we do affirmations? Because I found myself telling a peer who had considered this peer also my friend that I was proud of them. And just because it, it, I kind of grappled with it. It didn't necessarily roll off my tongue and parts of it felt a little weird. And it was like, well, what am I really saying when I say that I am proud of you? I was wondering, as we talk here just for a minute or two about affirmations, could you tell me a little bit about that? Me saying I'm proud of you, yeah. What, yeah. what that kind of does. So it sounds like what got you a little bit itchy was that, well, wait, what, what, what is my aim here? What am I trying to do when I, when I moved to the point of wanting to say, I'm proud of you. I think you're great. You're a rock star. What do I, what, what do I really want the outcome to be? And oftentimes what we want the outcome to be is that this person is fueled to continue to do this thing. And so from an MI perspective, when we think about that and you think like, well, if I say I'm proud or I really like what you did or this is a great thing, essentially what we're doing is we're creating a little bit of a, a lot of it, of a hierarchy in our relationship. So if I say, you know, when I'm proud of you, I've put myself in the position of being the judge and jury of your behaviors. And because partnership and collaboration are such a big part of motivational learning and keeping ourselves on the same plane as somebody, then we don't want to do things where the reason that they're doing the thing is because it pleases us, the helper. Mm -hmm. And so instead, this thing that you and I have talked about quite a bit is th this thing called affirmation. And an affirmation is a genuine recognition of the person's strengths, values, or achievements. And pointing it out, not from a position of judgment or evaluation, but rather from a position of description. Mm -hmm. So what was it that your, that your colleague did that, you, that, you, that moved you to want to say you were proud of her? What was it that, hap that happened? Can you just In tell this, me a little bit about it? Yeah, it was, they were, the person was making their own choices, which was a really big deal, making choices for themselves. So, so when you think about that, what does it take? What did it take this person to make those autonomous, self-respecting decisions for themselves? What, I guess I just used one of the words, self-respecting, but what else? What else does it yeah. take to, to sort of, to say, I'm going to do this for myself? People who do that are, how would you describe them? Yeah, well, they had worked really on building up their confidence through mm -hmm. participating in their own social support systems and mm -hmm. really a lot of determination too. So, cause yeah. it was a big yeah. deal that they did this and I don't know how to describe it, but it was almost a 
not not caring what other people thought yeah yeah valuing yeah. themselves over mm -hmm. what other people thought yeah mm -hmm. and so you know what popped out of your mouth that got that felt a little itchy was i'm really proud of you and then on the other hand the thing that you what you might have really meant it sounds like was that you meant to say something like despite what everyone else thinks you've been thinking independently you've been coming up with your own solutions which shows you know determination and bravery and self-respect mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and when we point those things out then that person can really grow, like recognize those attributes within themselves and capitalize on those in the future, right? Like if, if, you, if somebody points out to you that you're a courageous person, you're self-determined, you're independent, you're able to think by your, you know, about yourself and you value yourself, those are things that they can parlay into, into confidence to do th other things, right? Like mm -hmm. the other forks in the road that come up which is often mm -hmm. a big part of motivational interviewing is just helping them discover things that they already have. We're not, we're not pouring stuff in. We're helping draw up out of the well stuff that they already have. Yeah. We're not pouring stuff in. We're not filling empty vessels. We're mm -hmm. instead drawing up from the fullness of this person. We're helping draw to the surface. Imagine a well and we're trying to pull up that bucket up through the well, the well is full. Mm -hmm. We're not filling the well. The person already has this stuff, but maybe they've forgotten. They've been, they've been through a lot. They, they, they forgot they had all these attributes for making change. They forgot they had all these things that were important to them. They forgot their reasons. They forgot they even wanted to try. Mm -hmm. But we're not bringing them wanting to try. We're not bringing their reasons. We're not bringing their attributes, they have them. We're just reminding them of things that they already have. Mm -hmm. Well, and specifically in recovery, a lot of times we're helping, to use your word, kind of parlay yeah. <laughs> attributes and things that they might have had, they might have used to survive their active addiction. And, Act yes. and then affirming those things still exist and can be used to further wellness in their current life, to further their recovery. The, those skills are multifaceted. <laughs> so um, a lot of times because we uh, might want to just kind of block out everything that happened in active addiction. And because the, con the negative consequences were so severe, a lot of times we don't see it in any light of usefulness. Right. And these affirmations, especially again, when you're first meeting with somebody and you're kind of getting to know them, you might know a little bit more about their addiction story than their recovery story, or they might be newer in recovery. And so we can actually, as peers, have conversations and affirm those values and beliefs and things they have going on that are really positive because it takes right. a lot to survive in addiction. It takes mm -hmm. a lot to navigate that. Yep. Um, yep. Resourcefulness and creativity and all kinds of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And how might you, those, those qualities that you genuinely possess, let me remind you of them. Let me point out how I see those. And then how, then you get to make a decision 
the person who's thinking about recovering gets to to make the decision as to whether how they use those things that that are theirs they own them we don't own them they own them right right and that there too with affirmations we can just take a slight um pause Mm-hmm. And, and, and just say, uh, I think there's so there, you had mentioned some guiding principles around, like, there's not an eye in that. So I don't, right. Mean, there's not know. an eye in it. Right. Right. But just describe mm-hmm. for the person, the way that you did this shows this when, mm-hmm. when, when you were talking about this thing, I noticed that you have blah, blah, blah. I noticed that these things, you've talked about this a lot. That's important to you. That's a value to you. These are the things that that make you tick, that drive you, and how, and p- helping the people rediscover those things or bring to the surface the things that, that were just hanging out be- just below the surface. Oh yeah, I am doing this for my kids, for my parents, for this, that, or the other thing, because my work is really important to me, whatever it is. Yeah. So helping people see what they, va- remind them of what they value what and yeah. then the characteristics that they already possess yeah yeah so. well i think we did a good job covering affirmations and how we use i think re- um providing resources is mm-hmm. um, sometimes untouched meaning in in our trainings we kind of make this assumption like oh you know how to do this and don't do a, a second layer of teaching around that about how we provide resources. So in today's episode, we discussed how peers can balance being a resource with providing resources and talked a little bit about that it can be trickier than it might seem at first glance. And, and we talked a little bit about the skills developed within MI, such as remembering the helper isn't the ultimate expert and that there's two experts in the room when we're sitting down with a recovery and we talked about the importance of reminding that recovery that what they decide they want to do and how they want to do it is up to them because they are the ultimate experts on themselves so thank you for chatting today laura it was good thank you have a great day laura bye yep bye chris This podcast is sponsored by The Great Lakes ATTC, MHTTC, and PTTC, which are funded through cooperative agreements with SAMHSA. The opinions expressed in this recording are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position of SAMHSA or DHHS. Thank you again for joining us on the Encouraging Change podcast. If you are a new listener, please follow us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe to The Great Lakes current YouTube channel to access many more free products and resources just like this.